Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Babadak Podcast. My name is Maya and I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in and listening to another episode of Babadak Podcast. I know there are millions of podcasts out there. I am personally a podcast lover. lover. I, I listen to podcasts at least an hour a day and I know very clearly that there are so many choices out there. So it means a lot that you chose But The Deck podcast to listen to. Today I have another special guest. As always, I have an immigrant from somewhere in the world and we unpack their stories with the hope that it would inspire you in some way. Okay, without further ado, let's get into it. Enjoy. Hi Libby, welcome to Bad Badak podcast. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. No problem. It's my pleasure. Oh, I miss your accent so much, Libby. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I like your accent so much. It's oh so American. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, the other day I was thinking how we actually met. Oh my gosh. And I could not remember. That is so true. Because I only remember the part where we were housemates and it was such a blast. I remember how we became housemates. Well, all I can remember is like you've been always in my life. <laughs> like, yeah, you're so cool. I know, it's just like, you've been so like a constant person in my life that I'm just like, I, I almost feel like I was born with you. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I, I like our friendship so much because even through the thick and thin throughout our lives, at least we've kept in touch and encouraged each other, which is really priceless, I would say. That is really true. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. I, yes. You already know. Because uh, we both have traveled so much and you work so hard in building uh, a friendship. And then when you go to another country, you just kind of disconnect. You just touch with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Our connection is very, very special to me. Yeah, and it's always, I like it because it's always so genuine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to pretend or something. You know me and I know you. And I feel like because we went through so much together in Malaysia, it's like a bond was created just then. Just like that. Even if we don't talk every day and, I don't know, post and everything, we just, it's like when we do talk, we just click and, you know, things just flow from there. Yeah, exactly. It's, that's a very, very precious connection. Um, That's true. I feel very lucky to find you as a friend and still, yeah, you know, and still be in touch. Yeah, wow. Thanks to Malaysia. (laughs) Thanks to Malaysia. Yeah. Who knew? I mean, even if I I didn't exceptionally fall in love with this, it's it's impacted our future in, in very many ways. So many ways. I feel like we went there in the most critical time in our lives though that's true i was like trying to figure out about myself and we were so young and so easy to shape 
Actually, now that we are on this note, let me tell you why I chose the name Bad Badak, which means balloon. Oh, really? And I, yeah, Bad Badak means balloon in Farsi. And the reason I chose this name was because the years that I lived in Malaysia really reminded me of a balloon. When I look at myself, it really resembles like a balloon that is just like floating in the air and just like going wherever the wind blows and just not um, still trying to figure out my identity, my voice. And when we were in Malaysia, we faced some challenges that were really out of our control. Oh yeah, that is so true. So we were just like, fuck, like, um, (laughs) what are we gonna do? (laughs) This is everything. (laughs) Right? So yeah, the meaning, the reason I chose the name Bad Badak or Balloon was just that. Like when you're when you're an immigrant, when you're first going to a new country, you're pretty much like a balloon, like floating around, and still not being confined within um, a certain uh, certain boundaries. Exactly. That is very creative. How many years do you think it's been? I don't even know. I think we've. We know each other since 2009. Oh my gosh. 11 years ago. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of years. It's crazy, right? (laughs) It is. It's so crazy when you think about it like that. It's it's insane. Oh my gosh. It's mind-blowing. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like when I was in my early 20s, when someone would have told me, yeah, I've been friends with someone for 10 years, I was like, wow. No way. How (laughs) is that even possible? That seemed like a very long time. But now that I'm at the end of my 20s, that is like so real now. Like I have been out of uh, Iran for like, 12 years wow that is so true and then i've been i know you for 11 years and like yeah <sighs> time really flies you know because you don't feel those 10 11 years it's only when you think about it that you realize well a lot of time has passed yeah it's like a decade that's crazy wow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I want to know how you ended up in Malaysia. Well, how did you end up in Malaysia? How did you end up there from all the way from Kenya to Malaysia? Um, There was this ongoing trend that started back in Kenya where most Kenyans I were studying the US and the UK, Canada, Australia. And Malaysia was an upcoming market trying to, you know, get students to study there. And their selling point was it's cheap. We have partnerships with UK universities, US, so if you want a double degree, you can study in Malaysia for a quarter or a fraction of the price compared to the US or the UK. And my dad was like, yeah, you're going there. This is a great idea. So I got tossed in the plane and I ended up in Malaysia. <laughs> I love that you say, I was tossed in the plane. <laughs> 
you know, at the time, I didn't even know much about Malaysia. I didn't know where it was. I was like, what's going on? Okay. And then, boom, I'm in Malaysia. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, um, I got, I ended up in Malaysia exactly the same way. Like, there no. was a trend. <laughs> there were so many marketing around it. Yeah, they yeah, were just, like, know. saying this is so affordable. The visa is super easy. It's super easy to get into the universities, and there are great universities out there. Yeah, that's how also I um, ended up in Malaysia. How old were you? I have you to give credit happened? to the marketing team because they did an awesome job. Exactly. <laughs> they did a fantastic job. <laughs> You're asking how did... So how old were you when you decided to come to Malaysia? I think I was 18, going on 19. Oh so, my god. Yeah, because it was towards the middle of the year, and I turned 19 at the end of the year. Well, almost at the end of the year. And yeah, it was my first experience abroad. Everything was just... Uh, it was the first time for everything. Travel outside Kenya into Asia, into Malaysia, different country, different weather, everything was just a new experience. So have you ever thought about studying abroad before coming to Malaysia or it was something that like your dad suggested? Um, I did, well, it was an idea. I thought, okay, if I was going to go abroad, it would be the UK, the, you know, the standard countries I mentioned before. If it's too expensive, there were a lot of great universities opening up in Kenya so that okay I can still study in Kenya for a fraction of the price but it would never occur to me that it could be a reality mm-hmm. you know like I could actually travel outside there and study has any of your parents um, studied abroad at all well, yeah yeah my dad studied in Japan and in India yeah so wow. he has studied abroad yeah it's quite interesting I never thought about it but yeah your dad is a doctor, right? Yeah, he is. What's his same age as you when he went abroad to study? Oh, okay. Uh, no, not at all, because <laughs> he studied his, how do you say it, undergrad, his medical degree in Kenya. Mm-hmm. But he did his specialty in the, what do you call this, in the heart, cardiovascular. He did that. I don't know if it was in India or Japan, I don't know which country, but I know the specialities, he did them in Japan and in India. Mm. Yeah. So he had that kind of idea of what it feels like to study abroad and knowing that he's, he he tossed you in the plane <laughs> and sent you yeah. on to Like, it's just going to be fine, Just it's probably better than what, I don't know how it happened, honestly speaking. But it just, it just did. Are you happy with that decision of leaving oh, yeah. very, at a very early age and going up abroad to study? Oh, yes. It's something I don't regret because it influenced my decision to come here in France to take further studies. Studying abroad makes you learn a lot about yourself, a lot. And then you get to learn your strengths, your weaknesses, your limits, everything. And that you get to learn at a young age which is incredible. For sure. Do you think you're going to send off your kids? If you ever um, have a kid, do you think you will um, let them study abroad? When you put it like that, it's very scary. Because, <laughs> you know, I did see a lot happening in Malaysia, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. 
<laughs> but yes, I would with great hesitance. So I don't know. I'll have to learn how to let go. But yeah, I would do it because it's a, it's like we mentioned before, it's a priceless experience and you get to make friends and I don't know, it's, it's incredible. So I would do that. Cool. It's just I have to do a lot of parenting or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not easy. I actually think about it a lot, about like whether or not I would let my kid go abroad. Um, You have to learn to be selfless, you know, because you love something so dearly. Of course, it's your child, but you have to... it's, It's so far... Yeah, and anything could happen. Like a lot has happened. Yeah, like a, a lot did happen in, in Malaysia. It was it was crazy from the high rates of suicide happening there to just anything. Anything is possible. And when you're a foreigner and you get to hear all these stories about things happening to other foreigners, it's it's quite scary. I would say it's crazy. So yeah. we studied at the same college. It's true. How cool is that? We were different majors. You were in engineering department. I don't know what happened, yeah. And I was like in the business department. Um, yeah. Did you leave um, at the dorm when you first got there? Oh, yes, I did. I first lived in the dorms, which were basically fine because they were just apartments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then after that, I started looking for a place to leave. I think... My first place that I moved out to was with you and the other girls. Was it the same for you or did you move from apartment to apartment? It was uh, exactly the same for me. I think I lived um, at dorms for the first yeah. year and then the second year I my roommates at the dorm and I rented an apartment. Let's talk about that. I remember we rented a three bedrooms apartment and there was you, I, Negin, two other yeah. girls and Susu. Oh yeah. So wait, how many? Me, you? I think we were six girls. We were six girls yeah. in a three bedroom apartment. And yeah. oh my God, your room was so tiny. It was so tiny. Oh, oh my gosh, it was, it was a pre-preparation for apartments in Europe, but yeah. But at that time, we were very happy, like I was, I remember I was sharing not only uh, an apartment with other people, I was actually sharing the same bed, I, I had oh, bedmates, <laughs> it was not a roommate, it was bedmate, if you will. <laughs> I totally forgot because there were, there were no twin beds. It was one, was it queen size? Yeah, it was a queen Two size bed. Size, yeah. And then Negin and I slept on that bed for over a year. How was that experience for you? Oh my, you know, when I think about it, I don't even know how I did it. Like, how was I content with that situation? <laughs> it's crazy like I would never ever even think about it right now that's true uh, yeah I can totally understand I have never thought of it that way because I don't know when we were that age and we were renting the apartments everything seemed very normal right we were very happy with that situation because 
uh, our dorms were not too bad. It was exactly as you said. It was just like apartments. But there were like, like at the unit that I was living, um, uh, there were 11 girls. Oh, really? Yeah. So we were on the penthouse. We were on the top floor. Yeah. And we were, I think, 11 or 12 girls. And it was just so old and so um, dirty at points yeah and then we moved to this really uh, like a new apartment yeah it was great great location it was great that time that apartment was like og for us because it had a very beautiful very beautiful swimming pool it had a gym it had sauna jacuzzi it had a little coffee shop inside the condo and the only way a bunch of poor students could afford living there was to get as many roommates as we could and we were actually very happy with that setup <laughs> at that time oh when i think about it so i don't know how we made it i don't know how we, we were all from different cultures and somehow i didn't i don't know how we did it i don't know how we shared one kitchen that was quite when i think about it it was small yeah and the living space was good enough i don't know how we did it that's incredible, it but just yeah. it was quite an experience because um, I think the time that I lived in Malaysia was the time that I got to live with so many different people from different countries. Like um, when I was at dorm, there were my roommates were from Indonesia, from uh, Tanzania, from um, Sudan, oh, from Iran, from Philippines. Oh, you had uh, a experience. Yeah, and it wasn't like just working on a team, um, like a, a group project. We actually lived with each other, so I learned a lot, for sure. Yeah, I do. I mean, one of the things I also will not forget is the puppy you had bought. I think this, this is one of the memorable experiences I have, especially because I didn't know how it was, but I feel like there was teamwork around the puppy. Oh my god, lady. <laughs> Even if it pooped and peed everywhere, I don't know if there's always somebody to take care of it. Oh my god, up to this day, bringing that puppy into that house was probably one of the biggest mistakes of my life, hands down. That would be definitely the only regret. And the puppy. The puppy. I mean, we were, we were babies and we were living in this crowded house and we had absolutely no fucking idea how to how to take care of a puppy indoors oh it was so energetic God. i feel really bad for that puppy and um yeah it just makes me very sad whenever i think about it during the puppy phase i i, I mean i'm still in a puppy phase it's been years but i didn't dare to like take on that responsibility i think now i have a better understanding of how uh much of a responsibility it is to adapt a, a dog it's like a... i feel like that's a difference between now and then i feel like then i don't know if it's the same for you you will tell me that when i was uh, in malaysia that age i would you know take chances and do this and do that without thinking twice but now i think about the costs and benefits and i weigh these and i weigh that and then i end up going for it 
that's the beauty of aging, right? <laughs> you get wiser, I guess. You don't make stupid mistakes anymore. I mean, you still do, but in like different um, in a different way. Different but... way. Different and kind sometimes of... I miss that part where it's just, you know, go for it. Don't think so much. Just do it. I, I remember when even I was in Malaysia, I admired that um, characteristic of yours where you would just, you know, you were not afraid of getting jobs and trying this and trying that. And I was like, wow, she's so brave, you know. I think it's a characteristic because you either sink or you swim. So you find like you decided to constantly you know, push yourself and see what you can find instead of saying, oh, no, I have to, you know, I have to go back home or I have to do nothing. I can do nothing. But you didn't take that option. You just went for it. Yeah, I I think um, there were two factors that had something to do with my mentality during that really challenging time. One was the fact that I didn't see any other option for myself like going back to where I was born was not an option for me at all like I did not have any future as a homosexual woman and I just could not live my life uh, in like constant fear of somebody finds out about my relationships so I feel like when I left home in 2008, I left to never come back. And when my dad stopped supporting me and uh, I was at this position in which I had to like decide between finding a way to, to move forward or going back home, I obviously went for the first option. Like I needed to find out the way and I feel like that is why it is so important to know our core values because I never give up on on them. I think at that time, freedom was what meant to me the most. And I was willing to sacrifice anything for for having that. And then the second thing that really helped me to go through that that really dark time back then was my attitude one thing that I can give credit to myself that I'm I think able to always find things to be great grateful for even during the shittiest time in life I think that helped a lot to just not giving up and trying to move forward so I don't think it was um all of that was because I was brave or strong or anything I think the only reason was to um, was the fact that we are often more resilient than we think we are and just staying positive and finding things to be grateful for trying to keep moving forward is just to me the only way to get through life oh my god I'm making this episode all about me already okay <laughs> enough about me so um we moved into an apartment together with um, four other girls. And then in 2012, you actually decided to quit your uh, engineering program and you went back home. And then I went my way. I, I still stayed in Malaysia for two more years before I moved to States. Um, I want to know... What were your first impressions when you first went back 
to Kenya after four years of living abroad? Well, okay, so when I went back home, um, the first thing that hit me, even if I had visited home quite often, is the fact that a lot had already changed, well, obviously, and people had moved on. So, for example, I'm just coming out fresh from university, so of my friends who were my classmates, but they're settling down, they're getting married, they have their own business, or they're having kids, and I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> so I didn't get that memo. How did that happen, you know? <laughs> I get home and my aunts are like, so where is the husband? And I'm like, what husband? You know, you told me to go to school to focus, and now I come back home and I should have come with a husband. I'm like, <laughs> how is that supposed to happen? I was, I was totally confused. So not only can I not recognize the people that, who are my friends, also the um, the things have changed. So I've come home with a, maybe a different type of mentality. So even driving around, because I was used to, I drove a bit in Malaysia, just coming back home to drive, that was a different experience. The food was different, but obviously <laughs> I still like the food from home, but it was still a different experience. All of a sudden, I wanted to eat more rice. I wanted to eat more fried rice. I want chicken rice, you know. I don't know if you went through the same thing, maybe if you went to the U.S. when you went there, if it was the same experience for you. I I had pretty much the same experience. I was, like, craving. First of all, I feel like... Uh, without me even making that conscious decision, I think when I, like all the years that I lived in Malaysia really impacted the way I eat at home. I, whatever, no matter what I cook, I always have like some Asian cuisine elements in my cooking. Yeah, no matter what I'm in Asia, like getting really healthy bowl of veggies was very affordable and very delicious it's quite cheap it was very cheap to eat there eat out or eat in everything was just affordable even as a student so affordable i remember as far as i can remember actually eating out was cheaper than eating at home <laughs> i agree <laughs> like going grocery store ate out a lot like all this mamak shop or like the street food uh you could get really yeah. delicious authentic food with like less than a dollar but like going to grocery store wanting to buy all those ingredients would cost you a whole lot more that is very true that is so true yeah but that was one of the things that hit me and also feeling like a foreigner back home i think it's a lot harder to settle down back in your home country than it is outside oh i'm not too sure why maybe because automatically i assumed you know i'm born and raised here so things should just click quite easily but it wasn't easy to click so i felt foreign once again and it's weird because it's my home country i shouldn't feel so lost but it was quite quite hard i think also for people to adapt to a new persona or the person you have become compared to who you were before was also i don't know it's quite a journey i think it's very hard to settle back home once you've lived abroad for quite some time once you leave your hometown you won't have anything such a hometown anymore that is very true yeah yeah like that is it that, that is idea of oh this is my hometown is like all gone because everywhere like you become like a global citizen almost that's like 
how oh, it yeah. feels like from inside. Yeah, and everybody's like, um, so what's happening with you? You used to like this, you don't like it anymore. Or it's just, it's, it's quite an experience. I know that because I had a friend who also moved back from Australia and they were having such a hard time settling home. I said, no, it's, it's very normal, don't worry. You'll go through these stages and then after a while you'll just... I don't know, feel like everything is normal. But in the beginning, it's like World War Three in <laughs> you, around you. It's just everything. How long did you end up staying in Kenya? So I stayed for another six years, five, six years, because I did work for the number of years. So I started working from 2013 to 2017. It was a lot of fun before I realized I reached that stage where... Um, I needed to finish my degree, I need to get more. And every time I wanted more, they'll say, oh, you know, you didn't finish school. So um, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, this again. So I wanted to just finish the degree, get something. So it's a negotiating, um, I don't know, stunts, negotiating point. Was the idea of going to France started from that? I enjoyed the experience so much in Malaysia. I wanted to learn more about different cultures, meet different people. So I did travel while I was working. And I traveled here in Europe and I liked it a lot. I was like, okay, if I come back to, if I go back to study, then I'd like to give it a try. And the UK is quite expensive. And I wanted my dad to help me, you know, finance Mm -hmm. my studies. And that was another negotiating point. It's cheap in France. It's this much. I'm already learning the language because I did get bored of work, so I needed to... I don't know, I got bored of my work routine, so mm-hmm. picking up a language helped me get rid of that boredom. And I was taking French at the, the time, so um, it was fun. It was just one plus one, and I was like, yeah, just go back to school, finish school. I don't care what you study, just finish school. It was that plus I was dating somebody who was here. Oh, interesting. And, uh, How did you two meet? Malaysia. Oh, wow, look, we go back to Malaysia. Oh, my God. Do yeah. I know him? Uh, I don't think so, because he was one of the French students who were there on an exchange program. Yeah. So the seed of inspiration to go to Paris yeah. is already planted since then in Malaysia. It's... Oh, and when you say it like that, it sounds really good. So you know each other since then. Were you dating each other back then in Malaysia? No, not at all. Not at all because he knew, because we were really good friends. So I knew who he was dating. He knew who, was I, uh, who I was dating. I didn't think he would ever come to a point where we'll start dating I'm like oh shit you know you know my history I know your history oh my gosh you know <laughs> but yeah it never did occur to us that we'd ever end up dating each other wow and then fast yeah. forward you go back to Kenya and I suppose you guys still keep in touch right yeah yeah I still keep in touch on and off and then until you decide where to go next for a couple of reasons, you pick France, and there he is, your guy is there. It was weird, yeah, because I don't know how it happened. Even if you were to ask him, I don't know. We just <laughs> we met, and I don't know what happened. We just liked each other. I don't even know how that happened, and now we're here together. <laughs> I don't know how that happened again. <laughs> 
gosh. Well, like this would happen when I was in Malaysia, but like never in my life would that ever happen. But yeah, it happened. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, we also never could have ever imagined that we reunite after oh years. Oh my gosh, that was so cool! In, Can you imagine? So, in it, Paris. In Paris, and not in a regular day in Paris. Oh yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like so lucky to be able to see that crazy <laughs> scene.、Too. Like, I mean, people in、uh, Canada and U.S. do not care about soccer, but soccer is a <laughs> big, big deal in everywhere else in the world. And two years ago, when I had、uh, my family, I'm just trying to give a little backstory so people know what we're talking about. So two、okay. years ago, I had my family reunion in U.S.、Uh, in Europe, and I didn't even care about the World Cup because we don't hear anything about World Cup in the news here. So I was not even thinking about it. And then,、uh, so I had a few stops in different countries in、um, in in Europe. My first was Spain, and then I think it was Italy, and then Paris and Austria, and. Uh, I only found out that you're living in Paris a little before my trip, and then、yeah. I was like, "Holy shit, I'm coming there! Let's <laughs> meet." Your sister. Back to the World Cup or the soccer thing. So apparently, on the same year that I went to Europe, there was a World Cup, which was like、uh, pretty much like a, what is it called?、Um, Super Bowl in U.S. Yeah.、Uh, but yeah. I think soccer is bigger because.、Uh, It includes so many more countries. Like it includes all、That's、Europe,、so、all Africa, all Asia. So anyway, I only had like three or four days in Paris, unfortunately, very short. And on my second day in Paris, all of a sudden, French soccer team won the World Cup. How insane was that? It was a crazy time because the streets went crazy. Everyone is rejoicing. Wow! I never saw anything like that ever before. This、Me、was、too. this was the day that every person who was living in France came out and celebrated. <laughs> and at some point, it got a little too scary because you know there were so many people in the streets, and they they were all getting too drunk. And some too crazy. Too crazy. The police got involved. There was a tear gas, and then people start rushing. And because there were so many people, when you run in a crowded area, some people gonna fall, and then other people gonna step over.、Oh, yeah. It was crazy. Like was at crazy. some point, I got a little too scared.、Uh, but we made、okay. it. I remember even just trying to get some transport around was a problem. Oh, forget about that. <laughs> and we actually met on the same day, right? Yeah, that's true. And we we, we could never have predicted that. I personally didn't know that there was a World Cup going on <laughs> until I got to Paris, and that was when they were doing the last game in the morning. When I woke up that day, I was not expecting to have such a day. <laughs> not in my wildest dream. I totally agree. 
And then, I, even, I don't know if it was the morning after the same night or even the traffic lights were damaged because I don't know if guys were jumping on it. Yeah. I don't know if people do that. Yeah, because there were so many people in the street. Some people were climbing up of the traffic lights, the street yeah. signs and the bus stops and the, you know, the roof, the, the store roof. It was just something else. But that was definitely an experience to have, I don't know, experienced. I know, that was like once in a lifetime. Yeah, How so everything true. just went hand in hand for us to, to see that. But anyway, you and I were supposed to meet at 11 o'clock. And then my sister and I were just like hanging out in the street since morning we were just like drink day drinking all day and then there was just like crazy scene in the street afterwards so anyway we were both exhausted and then at some point she was like hey i really need to go home and she went home and i was waiting for you somewhere downtown the streets looked like war zone literally because i know yeah well yeah that's true because i know you met me near where i used to live and there was a bridge so i know we met there and just walking around that area because the roads were closed um there were just there was a lot of people there's a lot of action and we're just trying to find each other amongst all these people it was crazy crazy yeah so we somehow found each other and we sat at this restaurant which was almost about to close and I didn't have a phone. Like, I had a phone, but I didn't have, like, data on it. So, you got me a taxi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you and remember? It took forever to get there because I don't think they could find a way to get in the center of Paris. Exactly. So, we were waiting. Well, first of all, I was trying to get a bus. And then I waited for almost an hour. The bus didn't come, yeah. so I gave up, and then we decided to take a taxi. And then we yeah. started contacting these different companies to get a taxi, but none of them could make it, or it would say an hour to to yeah, get to me. My French is not very good, so it was my boyfriend who actually helped you get um, a taxi. Oh my god, what an angel. So we finally, after like, I don't know exactly how long it took, but it took a very long time. Yeah, it took a long time. I finally got a taxi, and I don't know if I ever told you that. The taxi driver's car, a car just broke in the middle of the way, and the guy was started speaking French to me. And he was (laughs) so angry and so frustrated. And I was like, holy shit, I do not speak French, I do not have um, any data on my phone, and it's late at night, like, it was after midnight. Oh, yeah, I remember, I think you mentioned it to me, but I can't remember how you made it home. I already downloaded the map, so thank God I had the map uh, with me, but I didn't have any data, so I couldn't really look for another taxi, so I ended up walking home. I walked for an hour, and it was dark, people, there were so many drunk people coming out of these alleys, and... Oh my gosh, yeah. I always say just living or just moving around in Paris is always an adventure. When you travel, shit happens, especially if you're someone like me, who does crazy shit. But yeah, it was very scary, but I made it home, and that night was one for the books, for sure. 
Okay, Levi, I'm curious to hear about your experience of studying in France. How was it different from Malaysia? I strangely enjoyed it more than I did in Malaysia. Huh. So I was like, oh, I'm not allergic to studies. Maybe it was just the particular school. Not the country, but the particular school. But yes. I enjoyed every bit of it. Tell me more. Like, what's your major? Is your school in French or it's in English? So I, I, did, I finished my undergrad in English. And mm. it was great in Paris because there's a lot of international students, a lot of lost to non-French speaking people like myself so it was a great experience um I then moved to Lyon where I did my master's and the first year I did it in half French half English oh my gosh I feel like a bus came and just hit me and rode over me over and over and over again oh no because yeah it was quite difficult because um even the simplest things um take I don't know they were taking me a while to understand because I'm like okay she said this And this translates to that, which means she's probably saying this. So it did take a while. So for my second year, I was like, okay, let me just do it in 100% English. So it's easier and I'll take less time to understand. I'll be able to participate more with the group. Yeah. But for right now, my internship is in French. And after that first experience, it gets easier. And oh yeah, like I said, Lyon is a, is a smaller city. So you have people who are more patient. So even if I speak rubbish French, you know, they listen to me, they'll, or they'll correct me a bit, but it's okay. It's, it's okay. You're trying to say this. We understand you're a foreigner. We help you with this. And it's really improved my, it's helped me improve my French. That's, that's lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. In Paris, it's like, um, okay, we don't have time. What you want, pay this and go, you know, or take this and go. It was, it was quite a different experience. Mm. Wow, I'm really happy that you are having a better experience in that department because it makes it so much harder when people who are around you make fun of you or they make they make you feel as if you're wasting their time for not being able to yeah, speak yeah. their language fluently. It just impacts not only like your learning experience, but also your confidence. That's very true. Yeah, that is so, so true. So Leon so. is the place to be for newbies. I would say yes, <laughs> except if you want the full Parisian experience, then yeah, I would say go to a smaller city, learn the language, people are much more friendlier, more patient, and you get to learn a lot. I learned more, I've learned more about the French culture in Lyon than I did in Paris. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, me too. I thought while I was in Paris, I've been in France for a year, I should be able to understand this, this is how French people are. But now I understand how one girl that I met in the beginning, when I first came here, she said, there is Paris and there's France. Mm. So now I understand because the people in Paris, well, are mostly foreigners and they're from all different types of cities in France, all hustling in Paris. But when you go to the smaller towns, you have the majority of the people who are just the local people there. So you learn the local culture, the speciality within the town. It's... That's quite interesting. In Paris, you have all sorts of people, so there's all types of speciality. There's no one particular speciality that you can just find in Paris. In Lyon, there is one. If you move to another city, there is another one. So I've learned a lot from about the French culture here. How was your experience at your first job in France, Libby? 
Well, that was quite, um, it was, that was quite rough for me. It was in English, which is the best part. <laughs> but I had a very, very tough manager. But the other colleagues were very nice because the clients were all foreign. I did not work with a lot of local companies except in organizing the events, mm-hmm. which was also okay because the event organizer I was working with spoke in English. He was French, but he could speak English. So that was um, that was an experience that I wouldn't want to go through again, <laughs> but I'm happy I did. For now, I'm working in a diagnostics company. So it's, it's a completely different industry and in the supply chain department. So nothing to do with events, nothing to do with architecture. It, it was... It's a completely new experience. Mm. So it diagnosed, is it like a medical related or? Yeah, medical related. So they provide all the equipment or biomedical substances and stuff like that to clients, to companies. So has this uh, pandemic impacted your work at all? It has because... In terms of transport, because we use uh, all modes of transport, so road, flights, mm-hmm. road, air, um, sea shipment. So all the prices went up, except uh, for sea shipment, everything else went up. So I need to put to the company in terms of cost. We also handle some COVID, how do I say these test kits? Yeah. So I think we provide um, components to that. So there's an increase of demand in such things. They need to be able to produce a lot to match the demand. At the same time, there's some stuff that's decreased in demand. So there's an oversupply in that section. So that's where COVID has impacted the company. I know right now things are slowly stabilizing, but with the second wave, everybody is quite uncertain. How was the corona lockdown in France? Actually, it was quite interesting. So I finished my exams in the beginning of March. And I planned on traveling to Kenya in the second week of March, which I did. So I wasn't certain I wanted to surprise my family. And I was telling my the two sisters that were helping me surprise my parents. I was like, I'm not too sure if I should go. There's so much going on. I don't know. It might not be safe. And they told me, it's okay, just, just fly, don't worry about it. So the moment I was in the plane, I did read that the president of France was going to announce something to do with the COVID. So when I was mid-air, I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to announce something. I'm up in the sky and I don't know what's going on. So I land in Kenya and he says, okay, there's going to be confinement. So everybody's in confinement. I was in Kenya. I said, it's okay. It doesn't affect me much. But in a week's time, the Kenya government decided to close the borders and I had to fly back to to France. Wow. So it took me three days to get from Kenya to France. <gasps> so, How come? Yeah, so, because, um, so there was a lot of chaos uh, in the airports internationally. So the flight that was supposed to leave at night was postponed to the following day. The Kenyan government had said, if you're getting out of the airport, you're going for two weeks mandatory confinement in a hotel where you have to pay the bill. 
So wow. either I step out of the airport and I'm stuck for two weeks in confinement, or I just sleep in the airport. So I slept in the airport, got the flight the following day. I get to Paris and they're like, your flight has been postponed to the next day. Wow. So it's like, okay. And that time the airport is dead. You know, it's completely dead. It's, I don't know, it was, I think it was a way to organize or reduce crowding in the airport. So by the time, you know, when I slept in the airport in Kenya, you make a few friends and we all took a hotel and a hotel nearby and we just slept there. I met a family that had been traveling from, I think it was Botswana, a country in the south part of Africa. And Mm -hmm. they'd been traveling for five days and were just trying to get back either to the US, to the UK. And I was like, wow, if I'm... From I don't know, going through all this as an individual, I can imagine doing it with kids. It must be. Wow. It's insane. Totally. So, yeah, it was. And I came back and my internship was postponed. So I only started my internship during, I don't know how to say it, during post-confinement. That works. <laughs> <In Confimum>. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so it's they only started it after, and we started with once you have to go to the office once a week. When things started getting better, they said, Okay, mandatory two days a week, but they wanted to increase it. But now, with the second wave, they have just left it at two days a week, especially because there have been a few cases of suspected COVID cases, and we don't know, you know, it's scary. Because you don't know if you, the person you're eating with or you're sitting next to is going to say, oh, yeah, I have COVID, so you guys have to go for a checkup. How is it for you? you doing online classes? Yeah, here it's been like, um, it's just been a roller coaster. Lack of management, like in the beginning, the president would come on TV and say, hey, this is nothing. Everything has to go <laughs> yeah. as usual. You don't need a mask. You don't need anything. So that, I think, the beginning of that, how they, you know, started to portray the, the, the COVID really impacted the way that people th- started thinking about it, right? It just kind of divided yeah, people. Sure. So there were it, it took people a very long time to, to get on the same page. Exactly. And to yeah. just um, follow the simple guidelines, you know, just wear the mask. Like... For instance, in the beginning, I don't know about France, but here we just did not have enough PPE. So they told us not to wear the mask because the masks are for doctors and frontline workers. And then yeah. a few months later, when we caught up with the supply, they started telling us that, hey, wear your mask now, you know. <laughs> Did you have the did you experience the same thing about um the mask situation over there? In the beginning there was um um a few cases. Nobody took it seriously, so it's oh there's COVID, okay. Oh there's an increase in numbers, okay. There was really no official announcement, so nobody did wear any masks, nobody did anything until the president said confinement time and that's when everything froze. So I flew out when that was just starting. And when I was in Kenya, it was a bit more serious. I think because of the news and everything that was out there, I think Kenyans got scared. So I'm in Kenya and I want to go visit my sister's apartment. My temperature has been checked. 
I want to go change my flight ticket because I need to fly back to France. I have to disinfect. I need to have my temperature checked. I cannot enter any office before that. So it was very strict in, in Kenya before there was any case or if there was one case and everybody went crazy. And I fly back to France and I'm walking around the street and nobody has a mask. No kids have a mask. I have gloves. I have a mask. I'm paranoid. But everybody else is relaxed. I'm like, okay, there are more cases here. But everybody is relaxed. So it's only now that recently, actually, where the government is like, okay, it's mandatory masks indoors. If you enter in a restaurant, it's mandatory masks. I think from next month in certain areas, some cities have that, but it's nothing compared to what I experienced in Kenya. By the time I left Kenya, it was mandatory masks when you're outside. Right on. Um, That's the way to go. And I think, well, I don't know about Kenya a lot, but some countries experience something similar to COVID before, so they know how easily this infectious disease can spread. And that's that's why they were so quick. Our school did not close until, like, they told us we are not going to go online until someone gets it that's what they said they said as long as we don't have any cases we are not going to shut down the school not shutting down the school but like transferring it online you know that that was their mentality and then um we were just like every day going to classroom and i was like worried and whatnot and finally of course many students started to get it and then they started closing the the school and this was the same for everywhere else they said okay masks are not mandatory like until shit went down and then they started saying okay if you want to get into grocery store wear your fucking mask otherwise we're not gonna let you in but too late we were not preventing we were just like catching up with the spread of virus we were not preventing it basically it's insane because um i was always i was thinking uh, we were having this discussion with a colleague of mine how today it's all about profits you know there's no country or government or institution that wants to work together to find a solution it's like i'll find it first and we're the winners and we'll charge this much or this will happen there's no togetherness and because we're all suffering together exactly are you planning to stay in france for a while um if I can get a job here yes I'd like to stay here for a while with this covid I don't know but I do want to stay here for a while to go to work Mm-hmm. Gain the experience, master the language at some point. <laughs> <laughs> can you say something and in French? I can, with an accent. I can definitely Bonjour. say something. I don't know if it will be co- correct, but I'll just say, um, Je suis contente de parler avec toi. C'est, uh, je sais pas si à quelle heure là-bas, mais um, je suis très contente. Yeah. Oh, I love uh, French accent. Say, uh, <laughs> really, I just said I'm happy to speak to you. 
um, during this moment. I don't know what time it is there, so I can't say this afternoon, this evening, because it's at night here. Yeah, it is uh, um, noon. It's 12.15. What time is it right now? It's almost 12 hour difference. It's 9.20 p.m. Wow, yeah, you are like exactly nine hours ahead. Oh, yeah, well, it's crazy, yeah, right? So I don't yeah. think about it. You're always ahead of me. <laughs> All right. It was such a pleasure talking to you as always, Libby. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a great pleasure. I hope we can do this again. That's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Bad Badak. I really appreciate that you chose to spend a few minutes of your day with me and my guest today. I really appreciate your support. I wish you have a fantastic week. Take a good care of yourself and I will talk to you next week.